Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. This is part two of a two-part series. The story also appears in the book, Put the Money in My Purse, A History of Female Bank Robbers, published by McFarland's Exposit Books and available wherever true crime books are sold. The date is August 16, 1897. The place, Pineville, Missouri. You are about to witness the first recorded bank robbery by a woman. Let's recap. Now, you've already met Cora Hubbard. She was born in Ohio around 1877. She was the sixth of seven children to Samuel and Elizabeth. Elizabeth passed away, and the family moved to Spring Hill, Kansas. Now, Cora would marry twice, and she settled in with Bud Parker, her second husband, and they lived on a farm in what would become Oklahoma, but about it was 10 miles south of Coffeyville, Kansas. There was a handyman named John Sheets doing work on Bud and Cora's farm, and Al and William, Cora's brothers, lived nearby. Albert Whitfield Whit Tennyson came into Cora and Bud's lives, and that was when this bank robbery idea began to hatch. Whit boasted he had the bank robbery skills, and Cora's brother William said he knew all about the McDonald County Bank in Pineville, Missouri, because he had once lived in that town, and he worked for a farm nearby. So William sketches out a map. Cora's husband, Bud, handyman John, their friend, Wit, and Cora's brothers, William and Al, they all decide to go in together and they are going to rob this bank. But at the last minute, Cora's husband, Bud Parker, and her brother, Al, back out. Cora tells Bud, I will not live with a damn coward. She chops her hair off short she dons men's clothing to disguise herself. She slaps on a black slouch hat. And her and the men head off to rob the bank. On August 16, 1897, they make it to Pineville, arriving just before daylight to set up camp outside the city. On August 17th, Cora and William, John Sheets and Whit Tennyson, William, still clutching his map, head out to rob the bank. Cora is wearing her slouch hat, a coat and vest over her overalls, and she's ready. Cora acted as the lookout. Working in the bank that day was President A.V. Manning, cashier John W. Shields, and county treasurer Marcus N. Lamance. John Sheets forces the bank president, A.V. Manning, and the cashier, John W. Shields, into the bank while Whit Tennyson keeps Lamance outside. Once inside the bank, John Sheets slapped cashier John W. Shields with a rifle. 
the gang escaped with $589.23 and Bank President Manning's $15 silver watch. But William makes a really dumb move during their escape because he drops his map. John Sheets, William and Cora, and Whit Tennyson made it safely away from the McDonald County Bank in Pineville, Missouri. It was August 17, 1897. All they knew was they had just robbed a bank of $589.23. They had no idea they had just made history. Cora Hubbard was the first recorded female bank robber on record. Information about the bank robbery was crackling across the air, meanwhile, to Noel, Missouri, via the Pineville Telegraph. The message arrived just enough time for another posse to form, hoping to head off the gang. It seems that William's map had supplied enough information to show the posse where the bandits were headed out, and the crack of gunfire let the bandits know what happened. And here we are. One version of the shootout has Cora's horse shot out from under her. Several shots bore through Cora's slouch hat. Witt's horse panicked and bolted, dumping Witt. Cora shouted to him and helped him swing up behind her saddle. They rode hellbent for leather until Cora located a wooded area. She let the horse go, and then she and Witt hid out until they could dress Witt's wounds. Cora and Witt eventually would part ways. Albert Whitfield Tennyson may have grand ideas about bank robbery, but he had no grand ideas when it came to criminal partnerships. A posse caught him as he was camping out in the hills of Indian Territory, just west of Pineville, on the following Thursday, August 22nd. He turned snitch. He snitched out his fellow robbers. Cora's life-saving skills be damned. Never mind that she helped save his life when she dressed his wounds. The posse also recovered some of that stolen loot. One posse member noted to the rest of the self-appointed law dogs that, according to William's map, yeah, they were still using old William's map, that Weir City was the robber's rendezvous point. Cora had indeed headed for her father Samuel's house in Weir City, and her brother and fellow bank robber, William, planned to join her. But a posse was trailing them, and this posse included the McDonald County Bank's cashier, John W. Shields. The posse, acting on William's map and, and Tennyson's big fat mouth, set up surveillance at Samuel Hubbard's home. Now, William had been in town, taking his time, waiting to see what his next move was going to be, laying low. Guess what? He's arrested the following Sunday. And then the posse, joined by the law officers of Weir City, Missouri, along with a few Weir City vigilantes, piled into three carriages and headed out toward Samuel's house. They were intent on catching those other bank robbers. The newspaper, the Pittsburgh Daily Tribune, described the entire event to its readers in the August 23, 1897 edition. Readers read, Officers with guns, features set with Winchesters and shotguns glistening in the sunlight. Upon their arrival, they scattered, surrounding the house and a small cornfield nearby. When Cashier Shields walked through the doorway into Samuel Hubbard's home, 
He observed a young girl there. She had a calico Mother Hubbard dress. She showed her dimples. She shows her shy, sweet smile. Hello, gentlemen. Good to see y'all. She was kind of a plain girl, a dark complexion, and she had black hair that was shorn very close to her skull. She was walking about in bare feet, but she looked so tired. Shields leans up close to look in her face. And then he recognizes her. This young girl who looks so sweet but looks so tired. This was the face of that young man guarding the bank during the robbery. Yep, that cool, calculating young man under that black slouch hat that sat so cool and tall in the saddle. That was this calm young woman. You're under arrest for bank robbery. And Cora showed absolutely no fear when arrested. We're here to search your property, the officers told Samuel Hubbard. And he put up quite a stink. You ain't going to search my damn property. You ain't got no right. Cora's my little girl, after all. William's my son. Shouldn't a man protect his own blood? And he ain't got no right to look over my property. The officers just pushed the old man out of the way to search. And Samuel's cursing him and telling him what exactly he thinks of him. Too bad. Searchers found a box of money buried in the vegetable garden. And somebody hollers and, look here what we got. Here's the clothes she wore, I mean he wore, I mean she had on during the robbery. And look at here, one of them is holding up a black slouch hat. They even got the bullet holes. Sticks his two fingers through the bullet holes in the hat and wiggles them. Yep, that's the hat all right. And there's the bullet holes to prove it. Caught during that shootout. More evidence. Now everybody was rounded up, including Samuel, Cora's daddy, because he wouldn't assist in searching for the hidden money, so let's take him too. Cora and William are loaded up into a wagon, and off they go, a bumpy ride into Missouri. They got into town about 7 o'clock that night and placed in a hotel for safekeeping. Now a news hound sees Cora, and they say that she's slovenly and of lowly origin and not at all attractive in any way. This reporter was from the Daily Herald, and he got a chance to interview Cora. Were you scared during the robbery? She says, not one damn bit. I wish we would have held up the whole damn town. Three days later, John Sheets ran out of luck, must have lost his lucky rabbit's foot, because he goes driving up to Samuel Hubbard's house in a buggy. Hops out of the buggy, expecting Samuel. Instead, he lands in the arms of City Marshal James Halton, McDonald County Bank Cashier John W. Shields, and Constable Ike Dennis. Hello, put your hands up. The posse had just been sitting around inside, trying to find the rest of the stolen money's whereabouts, trying to figure out who was who and where they go. Oh, look here, Mr. Sheets in a nice new buggy. Shields recognizes Sheets immediately. That's the fella who slapped me in the face with that Winchester. Put him up. Cora made the front page of the September 12th issue of the Inquirer Sunday magazine. 
The headline said, Bravest and wickedest woman ever known in America at last behind prison bars. Now remember, this is the wild, wild west. We're going to make it sound good. The bylines accuse her of murder, train robbery, and other bank robberies. But the author had Cora, not John Sheets or Whit Tennyson, walking into the bank. This had Cora standing on the wooden porch and holding the whole town at bay with two pistols while the men went through the tills and took the money. It even showed a big sketch of a faceless cowboy accompanying the story. And the Enquirer's nameless journalist noted that Cora loved hard liquor, could outshoot any man, and had a short temper and a quick draw. It even said that she occasionally said, damn, and she wrote and spoke clearly, but it was obvious she had an education. The author also said that Clara Hubbard, get this, she smoked cigars. Even if it was a large percent of just poetic licensing or out-and-out bullshit, Cora was called the newest of new women, right up to date, fearless, dogged, and desperate. And this is how they described her. Quote, short black hair, five feet four inches in height and rather stockily built. Her hair is coarse and black and her complexion swarthy and she greatly resembles an Indian woman. Her features are coarse and masculine, as are her tastes. End quote. Cora Hubbard, John Sheets, and Whit Tennyson were bound over for trial and returned to the Newton County Jail in Neosho on August 28th. Now that's the same day her father Samuel and her brother William walked out free from Pineville. It seems in 1897, every time Cora Hubbard's name appeared in a newspaper, it was followed by the fact that she had dressed as a man during the robbery, and it always included her black slouch hat. And all of the accounts noted that she was as tough as a man and just as unattractive. On January 12, 1898, Cora was arraigned in an Emporia, Kansas courtroom, and she pled guilty. Cora, John, and Witt, all convicted of bank robbery and they were to serve their sentence in the state prisons at Jefferson City. Witt got 10 years. Cora and John each received 12 years. <laughs> there went the easy bank robbery, easy money, no problem. We got a map, remember? This time, Cora only ended up on page six. Cause see, there was a tornado in Fort Smith, 41 people died, Mother Nature had ousted a cross-dressing bandit. But Cora, she made the newspapers quite often. A female outlaw dressed like a man, shot both six shooters and shot glasses of whiskey, said damn, robbed a bank, smoked cigars. That was big news. And she was called the newest of new women. And that even went beyond the borders of the United States. There was news in the paper that Sheriff Wheeler in Fort Scott, Kansas got a letter from a feller named Samuel Davidson from County Down, Ireland. Mr. Davidson was asking about Cora Hubbard. Mr. Davidson was interested in corresponding with her. But by now, Cora was in her new home, the Missouri Penitentiary. Her need for excitement still existed because she was still giving interviews from her cell. 
Any journalist who asked, she was glad to talk to them. But she was also glad to talk about vengeance. She swore, had it not been for Tennyson and my folks giving John and me away, we will fix them when we get out. It don't take no 12 years very long to roll around. And the newspaper writer called her an evolution of frontier lawlessness. She let her hair grow back and acted like a lady should act behind bars. She learned a trade. She became a seamstress. She stayed out of trouble. She obeyed the prison rules. She became a modern prisoner. She read trashy novels and she grew softer and rounder from the prison chow. She wasn't interested in the newspaper, other readings. Unless her name was featured, then she might read it. And pretty soon she was taking part in church services. It seemed the wickedest woman never known in America was, at last, becoming an old softy. And she finally told her reporter, I'm forever done with any such illegal activity. On December 26th, 1905, the Missouri governor, Alexander Monroe Dockery, commuted Cora's sentence with an official pardon. Yep, she walked out of prison January 1, 1905. Cora headed for Weir City. I guess time wore off. She no longer wanted revenge because she went home to her father and her stepmother. In her hands was a letter of recommendation from the officials in the tailoring department of the prison. And she told a reporter, I learned the tailor business almost completely, and I hope to get some sewing to do here. She said prison officials were wonderful, and she told people how to behave in prison. All you have to do is behave yourself, and they'll take care of you. She also met with Marshal Jim Hatton, and she said she was glad to see him, and she promised she'd never give him a reason to arrest her again. She blamed her downfall on what bad girls still blame their downfall bad men. And the reporter who recorded these details described her as short in stature, dark and almost masculine featured, possessed of a black penetrating eye. She does not look a day older than when she was imprisoned. Never mentioned her hat, though. This is the last interview Cora Hubbard's name appeared in newsprint. You gotta wonder, did she become a good, moral woman, staying at home, living life quietly? Did she remarry? Did she have kids? Or did she slip back into her old ways, that tug of excitement pulling at her soul? Only Cora Hubbard, the first woman on record to rob a bank, the first lady of bank robbery, can answer that. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. 
just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.